I can't think of anything more fun than having a conversation with Dr. Mike Barber, so I'm going to cut this short because he says it better than I do. I just want to say, if you think that wine and wellness don't go together, then this is going to be an interesting conversation because Dr. Barber is one of the top heart specialists in the world definitely tops in Colorado and he has an extensive wine collection has actually created a custom crush together with his wife he's going to tell us all about it and what he thinks about wine and wellness if you want a good excuse to drink red wine then listen in with your girlfriends right now It's fun to be with Dr. Mike Barber, who is head of the Strata Integrative Wellness Center. And it's, it's uh, no coincidence that we ended up having a wine and wellness retreat at this resort because he is a wine collector. And he's going to come and talk to our group just a little bit about wine and wellness and the custom crush that he and his wife did. So Dr. Barber, just backing it up, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your career and what led you to come and form the Strata Wellness Center. Um, my career is kind of a circuitous route. Um, before I went to medical school, I actually got a PhD in cardiovascular and exercise physiology. And about my third year into graduate school, my research took a very, very clinical um, direction. And so I decided that in lieu of having the strings pulled, I wanted to pull the strings. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe going to medical school was a good idea. Uh, went to medical school and then followed a very traditional route, four years of medical school and then internal medicine residency, cardiology fellowship, and then actually went on to become a heart electrician. I did a cardiac electrophysiology fellowship. Wow. And um, when I finished my uh, fellowship, I had done my residency at the University of Virginia and did my my fellowships uh, at Duke, and I was recruited back to the University of Virginia to be the third faculty member for the electrophysiology, the heart electrical program. After about four years, um, I decided academics really weren't where I wanted to go, and I sought out a private practice opportunity and ended up in Colorado at Colorado Springs Cardiologist where I started the heart electrophysiology program uh, here in Colorado Springs mm-hmm. and then also helped a number of other communities get something something going. So very traditional and practiced very traditional medicine for a number of years. About 11 years now, maybe 10, 11 years ago, I um, was on call and about two o'clock in the morning, got a call from the emergency room. And they told me they had a patient with a heart rate of 10, which is low, right. uh, like real low. And they were gonna do all these things to him. And I just, I asked them a couple of pertinent questions and they gave me the answer that I said, don't do anything, I'm on my way in. Mm-hmm. So ended up um, putting a pacemaker in that gentleman. So by about six, seven in the morning, he ate breakfast with his new pacemaker. But I was rounding that afternoon on him, and when I went in to talk to his wife and to talk to him, they were like deer in the headlights. You know, I thought I was healthy, I thought there was all, but if you really looked at it, he hadn't done a very deep dive into his health, but his, his thought of being healthy was he could run three or four times a week, and, but he really didn't look at 
um, the, the underneath what was going on. Mm-hmm. So here a guy ends up, he's 61, 62 years old. Last thing on his mind when he went to bed uh, the night before was getting a pacemaker. Right. And I don't know why this particular couple struck me, but as I was walking out, the thought that went through my mind, sort of the aha moment, if you will, was, boy, I wish I could have gotten to this guy 10 or 15 years ago, yeah, 20 years ago, and sat down and talked to him. Um, I had never been much of a pill pusher in, mm-hmm. uh, in my practice, but that really pushed me or directed me toward, um, in lieu of a find it and fix it, I found what his problem was and I fixed it. I gave him a pacemaker. Maybe more to a predict it and prevent it yeah. uh, type of approach. So I began to take a much more non-traditional approach to my patients, my clients. And um, just as time passed, uh, became disenchanted with the insurance world of you get 10, 15, 20 minutes mm-hmm. to see people. Right. And... Here, you know, have much more uh, open ability, uh, oftentimes starting appointments an hour, hour and a half, really get to, to know people. And that's how I was trained. Right. And that's what I enjoy doing. I enjoy that, that part of it. So now it's been probably just a little less than a decade ago. Um, I met Judy Mackey, who's one of the owners here, mm-hmm. but has also become one of my partners in the Wellness Center. She had a very bad experience with traditional medicine in her 20s mm-hmm. and essentially revolted against it. I just think she had a bad doctor. I think had she yeah. had a good doctor, she'd be in an entirely different place. Right. But she found a, a, an alternative uh, practitioner who basically, if you ask her, she'll tell you saved her life. Hmm. And so she went down the road of wanting alternative and complementary approaches. Um, I was morphing in that direction, and we ended up on a trip together, um, and it kind of started out as an argument, but as the week progressed, we realized that we really weren't that far different in how we approached things. We just sort of said things yeah. differently, and um, there you have it. Uh, I just began, became more and more and more involved, uh, went back retired from my previous practice Mm -hmm. being an interventional heart doctor right to i went back to school for a year uh and did the leadership and integrative medicine program uh, at duke and um, got to learn a whole bunch about things that i knew nothing about chiropractic and acupuncture and and really the complementary sciences to medicine and learned that there's a whole bunch of other things out there and that's what set me down the road here. Yeah, yeah. And you're helping to enlighten people as they come in and, and create a path to understanding. I'm trying to. Well, it, and uh, along that, that route, it, I, there's, it's an oxymoron almost that there's a, hot, a heart doctor that uh, has an extensive wine collection. <laughs> maybe it's not maybe it's just a it corroborates my theory that wine really is good for your heart can you tell me that yeah, I, I, uh, I think it depends on it's like anything in life politics religion science depends on who you read and the approach they want to take yeah I am in the corner that I do believe red wine in moderation is is good for us 
white wine, I think white wine's neutral, to be honest. Um, uh, I think a drink or two a night of white wine neither hurts nor helps a person. Uh, it's interesting in that most of the data, at least the data that I uh, think stands up to the, the bright light of day, uh, suggests that red wine and the components that are in red wine, the resveratrols, the flavonoids, etc., mm -hmm. uh, do have beneficial uh, effects. And a glass of red wine a night, a glass is five ounces for a woman, or two glasses for a man, is generally considered to be heart and cardiovascularly uh, beneficial. Um, the resveratrol, the flavonoids, um, there's some uh, polypronins in there. They, not only in the test tube, but also in, um, in some of the clinical studies, are shown to be beneficial to the lining of the blood vessels in our body. And the way that we get arterial sclerosis or get hardening of the arteries mm -hmm. is those, yeah, the endothelium, the interior lining of the blood vessel, begins to age, just mm -hmm. as we all do. And where initially it starts out kind of tight, and you know, I used to be tight. Now I'm uh, not as tight as <laughs> I used to be. Yeah, uh, we used to be tight. Mm -hmm. um, as we age, those uh, connections between the cells and the inside the blood vessels begin to become less robust, and that's where cholesterol can insinuate itself into the blood vessels and begin to cause deposition. Um, the flavonoids and the resveratrols and the other components of red wine. A, may contribute to endothelial vascular health. Alcohol's been shown to help raise LD, or I'm sorry, HDL levels, the mm -hmm. good cholesterol. Mm -hmm. uh, the components of red wine have also been shown to lower the LDL, the bad cholesterol. And I'm, I'm kind of a simple guy. I need to have things to help me. So I always remember HDL, H, healthy. LDL, L, lousy. Yeah. So you want to get that lousy cholesterol as low as you so can and get that healthy cholesterol as high as you can. And again, um, red wine seems to, uh, to, be, to contribute to that positive effect. There's a, and I know you're having a wine expert speak, so mm -hmm. I, I want to be a little careful about what I say, but there's a um, term called the French paradox. Mm -hmm. And the French paradox is that France has a, relatively speaking, for an industrialized nation, a low incidence of heart and cardiovascular disease. But they eat cheese and pate and all these things that we associate with cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. And the, the theory, or the, the hypothesis, is that because the French drink uh, a component of red wine, or a significant component of red wine, that the red wine counterbalances or actually maybe even protects them from the rich foods that many French uh, types of cuisine are, are, are known for. So yeah. it's an interesting um, um, it's an interesting paradox and so there it's not again, documented in any study that you know of? It is well you know it's, it's well talked about it is well documented that the French have less, less heart and vascular disease and really the only thing that keeps sort of bubbling to the top is red wine. It's the wine. And particularly um, from the standpoint of, of some of the good stuff, Cabernet Sauvignon and Pinot Noir mm -hmm. are particularly, appear to be beneficial, have the good stuff in nice. them. 
things like rosés, um, a lesser, because they don't sit on the skins as long, so there's not the extraction. So it's from the skin. It's believed to be from the skin, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I've heard a similar theory with the Mediterranean diet, even yes. though it's very high in pasta. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, we're also talking about how grains are grown in Europe, too, and that's yes. a, there's a difference. Well, and how the, how the, the breads and the pastas are made. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy, who I mentioned uh, earlier, she can go to Europe and has no trouble with the breads and the pasta, right. the gluten. Right. But here in the United States, she gets a little bit of something and it, it tears her up. So I think it's all, there's a similar difference on how things are made. Do you think that also applies to wine regions and how they choose to use pesticides and, and other factors in growing? Yeah, and again, you'll, your wine expert is much better at this than I, but the trend is towards biodynamic and organic, um, uh, as pure as possible. I, anybody who doesn't believe that you know, what's in the soil or what's, what we spray in there doesn't have an effect, all you have to do is drink some of the California wines from Northern California the year they had, that were bottled the year they had all the wildfires. Mm-hmm. And they have that smoky kind of hint to them. Those grapes picked up a significant amount of the smoky flavor yeah. uh, from the wildfire. So I think the stuff that's in the atmosphere, the stuff that's in the soil, in the water, what we put on those plants is, is very important. Absolutely. And I do like to search out and find well-designed and well-curated um, uh, biodynamic wines. That's exactly why I have Ashley to do the wine education at the retreat, because she only works with biodynamic and organic sustainable vineyards and um, wants to help people understand what they might be responding to when they think they're allergic to wine. Yes. Yeah, there's the, you know, the histamine effect that that a lot of wines have uh, on people. But again, sulfites, it's all in there. Mm -hmm. And the the purer you can make it or the more natural uh, that it is, the less uh, chemicals that are present. I would agree 100% that it's got to be easier on people. Yeah. Well, one of the most important questions we ask on this podcast is your favorite wine. And I know that you made 50 cases of a custom crush. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you chose the grapes that you used for Mm -hmm. that crush Mm -hmm. and why you think it's the best or do you think it's... (laughs) Well, we think it's pretty good. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm uh, expecting my bottle any day now. Uh, I keep forgetting it. It's, uh, it's, it's there. Um, I'm a, a huge red wine fan. Uh, we have white wines, and I like sparkling, and I love dessert wines. But the go-to is usually you know, a big red, mm-hmm. uh, big red wine. Love Pinots. Love them all. Um, the question about what's your favorite wine, um, I cook a little bit. And I love to pair wine mm-hmm. with what um, with what I'm cooking, and so obviously regions of France, you know, the Rhone Valley mm-hmm. is known uh, for some spectacular wines, and the cuisine that comes from the Rhone Valley is very much uh, in concert with the type of grape and the type of wines that are made. So you look at different regions, Spain, Italy, France, and even the the sub regions, they're foods and their wines mm-hmm. pair very naturally. Right. Um, so if I was stuck on a desert island and I had an uh, unending supply of wine but could only have one, uh, my favorite is 
a Napa Valley Cabernet. Mm-hmm. That I won't do an advertisement here. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's one of my favorites, and it always drinks well. We were on a wine tasting uh, excursion. In fact, it's the exact same excursion where Judy and I sort of began to blend uh, our, our thoughts on this. We were in Napa Valley in 2012, and we had gone to a number of wineries, and the last winery we visited was Caldwell Winery, mm-hmm. which is in the Coombsville uh, AVA. It's about 10 minutes, plus or minus, outside Napa mm-hmm. proper. Um, John Caldwell is a fascinating character in that his nickname is The Smuggler, uh-huh. And he got that nickname because back, um, oh, I think it was the 70s or so, he actually smuggled cuttings from French uh, vine stock into, into Canada, where it wasn't illegal, but then smuggled it across into the United States to bring to California to start uh, his, his vineyard in, yeah. in California. So... All of this very illegal uh, at the time. He ultimately got caught and got into a lot of trouble, but still was able to uh, keep the, the vines that he brought. And sitting there tasting with him, he and I got into a conversation and started talking. And at the end, he said, you know, we should make wine. And I said, gosh, you know, how do you do that? He said, well, there's Custom Crush, and a lot of the wineries in Napa, and I'm sure other places, I don't yeah. have any, but um, you basically pay for the grapes that are used and for the expertise of and the, the use of their facilities, but you pick the juice that you like, the, the grape that you want, and then sort of build from there. So we decided 2012 at the time was supposed to have been the wine of the decade or the Turns out 12, 13, 14, all were very good. They're mm-hmm. subsequent. So it's kind of, you couldn't lose right. by doing 2012. Right. So um, said good, sounds good to us. Uh, so we put our, our, put our nickel down and said, gosh, let's do two barrels. We'll do two barrels of wine. A barrel of wine gives you about 25 cases. Mm-hmm. So we'd end up with 50. So they did the crush. Um, John has several different clones of Cabernet grapes, but we had honed in on, we thought we were going to like two of them just right. by. So, did the crush and put it into half new French oak and sat for 18 months. At the 18 month mark, uh, he took wine out of those two casts, those two different um, uh, clones, sent us that in addition to some blending juice. So mm-hmm. we had Merlot, uh, Cabernet Franc, Carmenere, and Petite Syrah in addition to, um, in addition to two uh, Cabernets. And I was a biology chemistry major, so four of us, another couple, my wife and I sat down, and so I got to do the blending. And we literally used a graduated cylinder, just like you did uh, in High school chemistry. Yeah. And we Skyped. So John was on the screen of the computer. We're watching each other. And we're he's blending exactly what it is that we're doing. And the first thing I came away with, uh, which was fascinating to me, was how much just very, very small changes in the blend Mm -hmm. 
made a tremendous difference in how the wine tasted. It's, it's almost the same epiphany as the first time I went to a Riedel glass wine tasting where they mm -hmm. pour the same wine into different glasses. He told me about that. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, he said, ah, you know, it's the wine is the wine is the wine. It's, it's unbelievable. If you didn't see it coming from the bottle in front of you, you'd never believe wow. that this was the same wine in different glasses. Well, it was the same thing when we were doing this blending. We put a little bit of Cabernet, you know, I have Newt, Wing of Bat, you know, kind of uh, mad scientist. But the, the nuances were phenomenal. Yeah. And we ultimately ended up with um, a blend that was 93% Cabernet, 5% Merlot, and 2% Carbonier. And John's one of the few people in California and Napa that raises uh, Carbonier grape. Mm -hmm. It's a South American grape. Mm -hmm. um, it is. It comes as a you know single uh, uh, grape. You can buy Carbonier wine off the shelf. It is a deep, dark, tooth staining, but just a great wine. So Merlot for a little softness and a little texture in there. Carbonier just added uh, a little bit of punch to it, and mm -hmm. it was phenomenal how doing ninety five and five or doing you know 95 to wow the difference just these very very subtle differences made so we played around with it for a couple of hours we ended up with a pretty nice bottle of wine that we blended mm -hmm. uh, and we had a pizza party um, we sent our instructions back to John and they blended that to our specifications okay put it back into oak barrels for another six months so this wine oh. saw about 24 plus or minus months in oak before it was bottled. Wow. And then the hardest part of the whole thing, we had to come up with a name. Mm -hmm. And um, we sort of hemmed it around, and I'm not a very secure pe person when it comes to naming things uh, <laughs> or marketing, um, but my proclivities have always been for red wine. And so the name of our wine is Proclivity. Um, I like that. And it's a uh, uh, custom blend. It is uh, its brothers uh, out of John's um, stable. We'll go for about 250 300 a bottle. Wow. So we came up with a, just a very nice uh, bottle of wine that uh, now when they deliver a pallet with a ton, literally a ton of wine uh, in bottles, because if you think each case weighs about 40 pounds, yeah, that's, that's 50 cases mm -hmm. you know, right there. So that was pretty intimidating. Did you store that in your case. house? Um, we have a very good friend who has a large cellar, so a lot of it has been through there. We've sort of whittled down. My wife has now threatened me. We're down to 13 cases. Can't give them my... So that's what, yeah, she said, we're not donating because we, we've given it to, uh -huh. to auctions, and it's gotten a nice little local rip. So it usually brings a lot of money in for a charity yeah. uh, for us to donate it. Um, we're also finding that... Uh, we have a, a nice cellar I like to collect. Um, and finally, I've gotten to the point that all these beautiful bottles we have, it's like, why don't we quit donating these? Why don't we drink what it is yeah. that we have? So, yeah, we can have meatloaf with a phenomenal Syrah or Merlot. Oh, whatever, that sounds you know. wonderful. Yeah, or just, you know, we'd have pizza and we're having this spectacular. Uh, wine with it. It's just so much fun. I really do. Absolutely. I think if you're going to spend the calories on wine, it better, it might right. as well be a great one. Right. I'm going to die one of these days, so yeah. I might as well die knowing that I drank some of the 
really good wine. And again, it's fun to pair. There's right. A great little book. It's not so little, but what to drink with what you eat. Uh-huh. And it's a kind of a, a dual, um, uh, what I want to say, a dual itemized uh, text. It starts out with just a laundry list of foods. Mm-hmm. So if you're having fish, okay, we're having salmon. Are you grilling it? Are you blackening it? Or what? And it lists what goes best and what wines would pair best. Nice. It also, in the back of it, it says, well, I have a great bottle of Cabernet. You can look up the foods that go with the Cabernet. It's reverse so it, it's, indexed. I, don't, mm-hmm. I use it more just now to reaffirm that I'm making the right decisions. But yeah. it's a, uh, just a, a ton of fun to start out you know, 10 o'clock in the morning doing the prep work and whatever, and by five in the afternoon, uh, some of the wine's gone in the food, but some of it's gone in me too. Yeah, know, exactly. Just well, and Emerald says, don't don't cook with a wine that you wouldn't drink. Exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I agree, pour in a little, drink a little. And we have a, our first wine tasting, the one that you get to come and, and um, give a little talk to our group, um, is the Tour de France, and we, pair the wines with some cheeses and the way that she leads us through this wine education is we take a sip of the wine and then we take a bite of the cheese on a very neutral cracker and then take a sip of the wine and the the eyes get wide (laughs) the senses open up it's amazing what happens when it's paired when it's paired with the right food um, one that I never would have we visited a winery in uh, California and she served um, six-month-aged Manchego cheese mm-hmm. with a Cabernet. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay. That's one of my favorites. It's phenomenal, the, the, just the taste explosion. And it's, 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 it's fun. It's fun to experiment. It's why a lot of people get screwed when they go on wine tours. Mm-hmm. You know, they, then they get at home and they start drinking and they go, you know. This isn't as good as it. You know, wine is all about what you're eating, who you're with, what the occasion is. It's a it's a very social. Even in so when my true. wife and I are just having dinner by ourselves, and we're sitting at the counter, we're not at the table. You know, we just kind of had a busy day and pitched yeah. it all together. It's still a very social, right, uh, event, and that's what it should be. Absolutely. And plus, it lets me relax. It lowers my blood pressure, which is what alcohol is supposed to do. It's mm-hmm. kind of a vasodilator, so it also lowers your blood pressure. It just the world is good. Well, you've made my day and um, validated my theory that, that wine is, is a health food in moderation. It's a supplement. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a supplement, supplement in moderation. And um, I think what it does for us socially and spiritually, too, just having that time to, to be with people is part of what makes us whole and well. So thank you so much for the education. And I'm so looking forward to our retreat in November when you're going to give us a little bit more of a... Um, a little the same and maybe a few more stories on wine and wellness in life. My wife will say I have very many stories. Yeah, I asked her if she wanted to sit in this and she says, oh no, he'll do all the talking. (laughs) uh, My daughter, when she was very, very small, um, she walked into the kitchen and she asked a question. She asked her mother a question. And mother's a nurse. And so I looked at her and I said, "Uh, Margo, Daddy's a doctor. Why don't you ask Dad this question? And she looked up at me, you know, the, out of the mouths of babe, three years old, whatever she was. She said, well, Daddy, I didn't really want to know that much. So, <laughs> so I've, I've tried to temper myself a little bit. 
<laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, you are a deep wealth. <laughs> I'm deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't talk about the other analogies. Thank you. So, <laughs> thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for taking the time to sit down and have a glass of wine with us. Because we're talking about our wine and yoga retreats in this series, I wanted to take a minute to paint a picture of what this looks like. Think about it. You're going to leave the office, drive or fly to Colorado Springs, come and check in at the Garden of the Gods Resort, which is a beautiful, breathtaking luxury resort with a view of Pikes Peak out of every room. When you check in, we're gonna greet you by name. We're gonna hand you a key, and you're gonna to go to your room, put your cell phone and your computer in a drawer. You're gonna put on a bathrobe and sit there on the balcony, looking at the Garden of the Gods, working on your life strategy experience journal. At six o'clock, you're gonna come downstairs for a Tour de France wine tasting with Ashley where I'm gonna to explain to you how the crushing and the pressing and the soil that Cerise render works together to make new wine out of your life. It's a life-changing weekend, and I know you wanna be there. Go to 360lifestrategies.com forward slash retreats and see if you see yourself in this picture.